There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Tom, another week. Another week, another dollar, as they say, Willie. And we'll no mention the football. Oh, dear. Well, we were in the super box at Hamden. Um, 40 guests between us, and it was all brilliant until the football started. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're right, you're right. I know it was interesting to see that some of the girls had went inside for a cup of tea to watch Coronation Street. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, I think, think, listen, we've got a lot to be proud about, our Scottish national team. Absolutely. Five out of five in the games that matter. That's what counts. We're not quite there against England yet. No, good luck anyway. to Stevie in the next couple of games. Yes. Tom, before we kick off this week, you see that the uh, Scottish Affairs Committee in Westminster have published a report calling on Foreign Development Office and other parties, UK and Devolve Level, to promote modern Scotland and move, yes. and move beyond the tartan. Should we shout more about our highly skilled workforce and leading things like small space satellites or should we lend into our cultural heritage and connection? Well, I think we've got to use all the tools in our box, Willie. Um, And I think, of course, we've got to move beyond tartan and shortbread. Um, Modern Scotland is is a very different place. And, you know, when when we did the Oxford Economics report looking at Ireland you know there's there's so much Scotland's got an offer our our universities and I I noticed that St Andrews is now the best university in the UK beating Oxford and Cambridge which is brilliant we've got so much to promote in Scotland and we need to do it because there was further evidence coming out this week about the demographic time bomb. You know, we've got one million people in Scotland who are over 65 um, years of age and only 832,000 who are under 15 years. And why is that important? Well, it's important for a couple of big things. One is our, our pensions. If we don't have more people coming into the working population to pay for the pensions of those who are retiring, it becomes a real drain on the national um, checkbook, basically. Yeah, th- these numbers this week on on the you know the population uh, on the face of it, it looks good, you know, slightly up. Uh-huh. But when you dig deeper, as you're doing at the moment, is it's actually it's not good. It's not good news. Most of that is down to migration, uh, and I think that our you know indigenous population actually is dwindling. So yeah. um, I, I think that, um, yeah, and if we want to grow, that we talk about every week growth, and obviously the key to that is to, to, to grow your population and then obviously to, to create opportunities for the people here to, to work and to add to the value to the GDP of the country. But what I'd, what I'd ask the Scottish Affairs Committee is, is that um, to jump on the bandwagon of what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks and how can we help you know, um, lobby the Westminster government to help 
you know, Scotland to be promoted as a modern nation in the way of giving us green status for tax status to maybe follow the line that Ireland had fall, followed away back then. And I think that that would help put us right on the right track. Yeah, and listen, we've got... People are always, um, you know, going, oh, well, we've got a moan about this or a moan about that. But Scotland's a wonderful place to live and work in, Willie. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of support for helping businesses start and grow. Um, we've got a great university education system. And, of course, I believe our primary and secondary education system could be better, but it's still very good. So we've got a lot to be thankful for, but of course, of course, we need to keep pushing. We need to keep pushing what Scotland is and what it means to the world out there, attract investment and let Scotland flourish. That's what we talk about in the show. Yeah. And global news and business, interesting to see that um, the flotation of ARM the chip maker has leapt 20%. I think I read last week it was nine times subscribed. Right? Yeah. If people want to buy it. And it's, it's been the biggest IPO um, in the US for over two years. But it was interesting watching this morning. The reason for this is, is there's, um, there's a different type of chip that's required for AI. And, and they're at the heart of that technology. So it's one of the reasons why... That uh, at the moment in Wall Street, you know, watching Bloomberg this morning, that um, AI is a darling of the market at the moment if you can prove that you know what you're doing. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think what I liked about the story was I've been watching um, the investing arm of SoftBank. I mean, they took some huge bets on things like WeWork and stuff like that, and arm and the flotation has actually got them out of jail, Willie. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. They, 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 I think they had more bad than good investments, but their good, <laughs> their good ones have probably, you know, shored them up. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's an amazing um, British success story, Arm. It's, it just shows you that this future and the power of the computer chip, and you and I have been talking about AI, and I think I think you've got some interesting stuff you've been reading or watching this week, Willie. Yeah, I've seen an expert this morning, uh, a gentleman called Jacopo Palantino, who was is regarded as one of the top guys in AI, and uh, he has quit to write a book um, about the you know the pros and cons. But the number one thing that he is pointing out is the big, big danger of AI is how it make a nation all-powerful. You know, so somewhere like China. But one of the statistics that he said this morning was unbelievable. He said that Amazon last year spent $72 million, billion dollars. Billion? Reset, billion dollars. Wow. He says more than most countries in the world, one company, spent more wow. money in development AI than anybody else. So that's that was a bit frightening. Um, and obviously he's pointing out that the dangers, what it could do to, to a rogue state if they became all-powerful in AI, using it in the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's, there's always going to be the pros and the cons. And I, I do remember <laughs> way back in the 90s going over to Walmart, Sam Walton was my... God bless was, him. ...was my hero. And I know you know Walmart very well. Mm -hmm. And he, he had passed by the time me and my team got there. But um, the guys showing us around their systems, 
and it was amazing to see the the money they had ploughed into their IT systems. And I said to him, oh, where, where did you work before? And he said, oh, I was at the Pentagon. <laughs> and he said, Walmart are spending more than the Pentagon yeah. <laughs> on their systems. <laughs> I remember about 10 years ago, because the the complexity of their logistics, that they, they were only second to NASA with the amount of satellites that they had in there. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. But I think for our for our listeners and the businesses in Scotland, AI, I'm going to treat it as an opportunity. I'm going to let others worry about the threats, and I think we should be doing more, Willie, to help the businesses understand AI and get some experts on. So I'll have a wee look and see who who I've been listening to, and maybe you as well, so we can just help the listeners because yeah. it's, it's a it's a huge thing. Yeah. It's it's probably the biggest change that's going to happen to business in the next, let's call it, five years. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try and certainly learn a bit more about it. I wonder if Langside College have got a class on it. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, obviously you know more about the high street than me, but obviously more bad news this week with Wilco going bust. Yes. So I find this quite quite interesting now listen for the twelve and a half thousand people who work there it's a disaster yeah, and, and they they need our, our help to try and find other jobs etc but let me just give you maybe an alternative point of view as to what's happening here you know Woolworths went bust in 2008 and there was 27,000 jobs lost then Willie and um, Wilco twelve and a half thousand people they've went bust on over £400 million. Um, but the rivals are snapping up. So Poundland have taken 71 of the stores. B&M have taken 51 of the stores. And The Range, another um, run by a very entrepreneurial guy, Chris Dawson, um, have picked up the name. So what my what my argument is is that oh you could blame it on the rates you could blame it on energy costs but I'm blaming it on the management because the customers have chosen not to go to Wilco the way they chose not to go to Woolworths because Poundland and B and M and the range have did a better job at delivering the customer what they want therefore. This is, this is capitalism, yeah. I'm afraid. Tom, one of the things they did mention, which another two or three large chains have mentioned this week, that a big, big problem now is shoplifting. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've been noticing that um, it's it's some sort of rage on TikTok. Well, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna profess to be an expert on TikTok, but um, when I was in business in the high street, um, shrinkage, as we called it. Um, shoplifting um was was running below one percent um there was always that was the kind of and no matter what we did we couldn't really get it down much below that but now speaking to a few people who are still in the high street there does seem to be a problem and gangs just coming in on mass i'm not sh- quite sure what we can do about that i think we should have a zero tolerance to it and then maybe these gangs will will move on you know yeah, it's, it does seem to be a problem at the moment. I see your old friend Jim McCall has called for a deeper inquiry on the ferries fiasco. Horror don't seem to be biting. 
Should we demand more answers given the scale of the money lost and the current fiscal challenges that cash could have solved? Well, well, I mean, I think the whole ferries debacle is going to go down in history as one of the biggest waste of money by public bodies and private bodies, let's face it, that Scotland's ever faced. And we had a meeting with Audit Scotland recently, and I was very impressed with the work that they do. They go in and basically say when politicians are claiming one thing, Audit Scotland go and look at the facts. And Audit Scotland have looked at this. Now, what Jim's calling for is a much deeper um look into it and I mean why not I mean it's the ferries are going to be six years late and they're going to be four times four times over budget and it's the Scottish taxpayer who's paying for this but I don't think anybody's covering themselves in glory here but it would be refreshing to get Audit Scotland to say what has actually happened here because it's a disgrace what do you think well, I think this boat has sailed, or in this case it hasn't. <laughs> um, and all I think about public inquiries is when, when they are put together by government, you end up getting a report that government would like to see. I haven't seen a damning public inquiry report. Probably, to be fair, the Hullsborough disaster is, is, is one which was great uh-huh. that they finally got to the truth in the end which was fantastic and it took years and years and years and years I just don't see the government moving around. it is a disgrace and something should have been done about it but I just don't see them doing it You see I think I would have faith in Audit Scotland Willie because they are independent of government you know they, and, and they have come out with some damning reports calling out the politicians so um I think the Scottish taxpayer should know where our hard-earned money has gone here. And it's about, you and I talk about it every week, it's about accountability. Who, you know, and there's there's no doubt at the beginning of this contract, it was an SNP trying to prove that Scotland could, you know, build ferries on the on a private capacity. And, and you know, there was some shenanigans there right at the beginning. And but then, when it went into public ownership, my goodness, it really has been a fiasco. Yeah, well, I strongly believe we should have an inquiry, but I just don't think it's going to happen. No. I mentioned Amazon earlier. It's great to see that they are launching a new fleet of electric cargo bikes in Glasgow, which are essentially oversized golf carts. Right. <laughs> so watch out for the unique vehicles as Glasgow becomes one of the first hubs to use them uh, and electric walkers. It's all part of Amazon's 300 million investment in decarbonising its delivery network in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's terrific. Now, we were looking at um, building one of the big sheds, not necessarily for Amazon over in the east. Um, One of our challenges, Willie, was that Amazon and all the big what's called the last mile delivery, which gets to the consumer door. They, they want to be green. But the big challenge is getting the power into these super warehouses so they, they can charge their electric vehicles. Yes. There, there is a problem getting that connected, and we still haven't solved it over in Edinburgh. And we are speaking to Scottish Power, etc. But 
there's not an easy answer to this. I think everybody wants to go green, but it's not as simple as it first seems. Well, it's just a follow-on for the conversation we had with the, with the gentleman we had on, you know, last week and with the hydrogen trucks. Yes. You know, where do you get the fuel? Um, yeah, but it's an interesting one to watch. I'm delighted that Glasgow's been chosen for the pilot. Good Brilliant. old Amazon, thank you for that. Brilliant. Back, talking back finance, the Eurozone falling into recession. We've seen interest rates hit a record high of 4%. Still relatively good in line with the UK. What does this mean for the UK in terms of exporters and also on our interest rates and recession risk? Yeah, well, I think there was some good news for Scottish exporters this week. We're, we're punching above our weight once again. And it's not just whiskey. Um, there's all sorts of sectors doing well with their exports. But I would call for a halt to the interest rates going up. I think it was now do more damage than good. I think we've got to wait, pause, see what's happening with the economy Um if we think inflation is out of control again, we can always put them up again. But I see interest rates really biting in the economy now. And there's always a lag, Willie, from a central government saying interest rates go up to actually getting into the real economy, as I call it. But I, I would say pause interest rates today, wait, look at the data, and then take action further down the line. I think, well, I would agree with that 100%, but I've seen something really interesting this morning and I, and I didn't know this. The The whole China boom over the last few years has, has been phenomenal. But when you look at their GDP each year running at 8.7% or 6.7%, I watched a whole segment this morning on TV on, on the business show that, that pointed out that as the property crisis hits China, there's the knock-on effect for that globally could be huge because I didn't understand that actually, that I always thought that, that China's growth was down to exports. It's Half of it is driven by their own property market and it's in complete turmoil. Wow. And we're all, we're all going to catch a cold from that, according to the experts. Yeah, I mean, we do live in this interconnected world, Willie, and I mean, that's the bottom line. So if if I could just do a wee plug, because we're not live in the studio this morning, because while this goes out, Mary, myself and Frank the dog will be on the Edinburgh Kilt Walk, which is going to be the biggest ever Edinburgh Kilt Walk, Willie. We're going to have over 7,000 walkers, and most importantly, they're going to be helping over 700 different charities in the east now we can never get edinburgh to the size of glasgow i know you've got thoughts on that but for everybody who's coming out to help these 700 different charities in the east good luck and i'll see you there everyone got on the march for the kilt walk in edinburgh <laughs> thank you brilliant coming next at hunter and hockey chat to danny campbell the founder of hoko design the go radio business show with workflow solutions part of the scottish procurement framework for managed print solutions available to all public sector bodies and charities go radio. there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently document management printing it support digitization data security and more as a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. 
saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Danny Campbell, the founder of Hoko Design, the award-winning homeowners architect. Danny, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning. Thanks for having me. Danny, it's great to have you on the show. Once again, somebody that I don't know, and it's one of these things, Willie says it every week, the greatest story never told. So we're really keen to hear your story of entrepreneurial delight. <laughs> yeah, and what we try and do is encourage our guests to tell us the good bits and the bad bits, the learning all along. So if you want to just tell us for the start, Danny, what it was about when you are younger, how you managed when you thought you were an entrepreneur, obviously an architect, professional entrepreneur. Just tell us your story. Perfect. Well, there's lots of bad bits, and I'll tell you some of them. That's obviously the stuff that makes us. Um, I think I've always been a bit of a hustler. My first business was when I was in primary school, um, in Gerlock Head, at the end of the Gerlock. And um, I was washing cars when a cafe opened up in the village. And I roped in one of my pals with Seam as well. And, and we were splitting the money 50-50. And I think that sort of mindset stuck with me of kind of just finding different things I could do just for the enjoyment of it more than, you know, the, the money side. Then went through school, normal comprehensive school, um, backed by a lovely family. And uh, like a lot of young people, you're in that difficult situation where people you know ask you, what are you, you going to be? You know, what, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. There's, there's nothing that was really jumping out. So I was looking for like one slight crumb of comfort of a subject that I was half decent at. And I remember one teacher in graphic design told me that he says, oh, you're actually, you're actually all right at this. You're above average. So I went home and said to my mum, you know what? jobs to use graphic design and straight away she was jumping around the kitchen you're going to be an architect you're going to be an architect and that was it I had an answer to that question so that kind of like steered my direction from that point on choosing subjects in school um gradually finding a way to like get through exams and all that sort of stuff and I managed to get into the Glasgow School of Art a fantastic school wow it was the the one I wanted to get into um managed to scrape through and um I kind of struggled to click with the, with the university a bit. It's very abstract. It really challenges you, challenges you kind of creatively. I think that it, it it doesn't really teach you a huge amount about what architecture actually is, but it does teach you about, um, you know, a bit of showmanship, backing your ideas, a bit of uh, how to make your charisma work around a project environment. Um, and I leaned into that a bit, which was the part that, that I was kind of good at. But out with university, I still had these side hustles always... Some of them were quite hilarious. I had um, a, a crepe stall, which I made myself, and I would go and sell crepes outside nightclubs um, <laughs> after a little uh, holiday down France somewhere. And uh, that was shut down by the by the police a couple of times. Um, I had a student odd jobs business, and the whole kind of business was about this flyer of odd job from James Bond, but instead of his hat, he had um, you know, a wrench in one hand and a, and a paintbrush. And uh, that picked up really well and I had a lot of students roped into that as well and it became a bit of a kind of a networking thing. And um, so that's kind of what paid me through university. And I didn't realise at the time, but that was my calling, not the architecture. And I was almost doing it as a way of facilitating this existence in the course. And then the, the architecture profession is, is 
is a very kind of, there's a high barrier to entry and it's renowned as being such a long course. And the way it works is you do a three-year a bachelor's degree, you go out into practice where you're referred to as an architectural assistant, um, and then you go back to university to do a master's degree, and you go back into practice to be an assistant again, and then gradually you're supported by your employer to become an architect by passing all these external exams. So it takes a minimum of seven years, sometimes a lot longer. And yes, wow. <laughs> I know, I know. It feels longer. Uh, honestly, trust me. But people do it because they love the craft. And I think it's one of those things that you invest so much time that you kind of it becomes your entire identity. And the difficulty and the reason I actually became a, a, an architect officially was because um, my family and friends would refer to me as an architect when I wasn't one yet. And I was like, oh, this is too awkward. It's a protected title. I'm sick of correcting people that I'm actually an architectural assistant. Um, so I did it. And um, the way it came about was that after my master's, um, I'd been playing rugby down in England semi-professionally. I was doing my side tussles. I had a job and I was studying. And I was working really, really hard. And I got to the end of the course and I thought, right, I'm getting away from here. So I very quickly quit my job. I went off to Vancouver after Googling where's the best place to live in the world. Went out there and played rugby for a year. And it was fantastic. I was um, working on a building site, uh, digging holes with like a master's degree in architecture um, as a, an illegal migrant. You know, I didn't have a visa or anything. Um, and that was kind of, that was really fun. It felt like an adventure. And that's yep. kind of what I always wanted. So then I kind of had to think about what my plans were. And I went back home for Christmas at the end of 2015. And... Um, my long-term and at that time long-distance girlfriend came up to visit me and the idea was I start Hoko as a way of making some quick cash, doing graphic design and bits and bobs to then save some money to go back to Vancouver and continue my escapades digging holes and playing rugby against some Canadians. <laughs> and uh, what happened was she came up in the February, she was doing her PhD down in Leicester uh, and she got pregnant. And uh, that was a crossroads where we had to realize, right, well, this is, I guess it's getting pretty serious now. And um, <laughs> I had that kind of crossroads of, um, we're going to make this work. Um, and I now have to abandon my side hustles, playing rugby. Um, I need to get a steady job. I'm going to have a kid in nine months. That's not a deadline you can push back very far. <laughs> and... Um, so I applied for a load of jobs and, and I got all the jobs that I'd applied for. It was a really good time to be, you know, finding work in architecture. And I just had this moment where I realized, no, I'm going to try the business thing and just see if I can make it work and keep playing rugby and try and be a good dad and have all these other things. And that's kind of where the business journey really started for me. Brilliant. That's amazing. <laughs> so Danny, tell us about Hoco. What does it do? What's your point of difference? And how's it going? So Hoko, as it as it's known, has really been going for four years, but I set it up seven years ago. Right. The first few years was kind of finding my feet. And the bit that really kind of was the turning point was when I got my first home extension project um, for, for a lovely blind couple. And um, what I found was the differentiating factor was I was super enthusiastic, loads of communication. They were really engaged with the process and I kind of tried to make it fun for them. Uh -huh. And what they told me was, you know, they had loads of architects who came to work with them and they kind of had the same pattern. They were individual, like I was at the time, a lot more experienced than I was, but were kind of coming at it from a little bit of a standoffish point of view. 
So then I thought, well, maybe there's an opportunity here to do something a bit different in this home extension space. And uh, I decided to to focus on that. And I did a bit of market research and it immediately became blindingly obvious to me that there's this enormous market. There's something like half a million planning applications going for householders every year in the UK. And there wasn't a single household name or standout firm that was the one that you would just go to. And the more people I would ask and say, you know, if you want to improve your home, where would you go? And they would say, I would ask a friend or, you know, speak to a builder or go on Google. And, um, and I just couldn't find anyone. I thought, okay, well, let's figure out what's going on here. And I made my first um, jump into getting a studio and my first employee, Simon, um, who's our managing director now. And, you know, I was unbelievably lucky to, to get him straight at the gate. Right, okay. And, yeah, so home extensions, it's what we do. And I'd, I noticed you were going to um, raise some money from Scottish Edge. How was that for you? That's right. We, we've, um, we, we've raised money a couple of times, so... When Simon joined, um, we had this immediate period of of growth organically. Simon was very technical, far more experienced than I was, and I was the social one. So I'm out there spending time with clients and making sales and doing design, and he's behind the scenes pulling everything together. And we found we could take on you know 15, 15 times as many projects as anybody else. And um, I started reaching out to people about how do we grow this? How do we kind of start to scale up? And um, we raised about 400K from six high net worth investors um, who just saw something in, you know, me and the team and, and the very kind of bare bones of the idea. Uh-huh. So there was a, a bit of, um, it was a bit of equity given away. They came on as um, directors and um, advisors um, and we raised a bit of debt as well. So once we, once we raised that initial bit of capital, we saw a period of extreme growth. So in making it into kind of realistic terms of financial stuff, we went from, you know, 100K turnover up to 360. And then we went up to 1.1 million. Um, and our team was growing, you know, at an exponential rate as well. And when was this? When was the investment? When did that come in? What year? 2019. Oh, so sorry, it was 2020. So right. 2019 was when Simon joined. And then 2020, in fact, the investment round was supposed to close the, the week after lockdown started. So it was wow. put on ice until <laughs> August. Good so timing. I know, like everyone else, it's a very stressful time. How was your um, experience of Scottish Edge? Because obviously we're, we're a big backer of that. So, I mean, Scottish Edge has um, got such an amazing reputation within the Scottish entrepreneurial ecosystem. Um, I think we applied three times before we got through the um, the first few stages. Okay. Um, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the live pitching session. I thought that really kind of separated people a little bit into, you know, how they how they can actually separate themselves in actual the that live environment under a lot of pressure. Um, we ended up winning a, a £50,000 loan, so it was one of the kind of top prizes. Um, we took half of it, which we put to good use, and the other half of it we, we didn't end up taking in the end. But All it, right. It came Even out better. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's the whole purpose of, of Scottish Edge, isn't it? It's to support people when, when they need it. Yeah. Um, the story you tell of... Um, you don't get there the first time. We don't let MD say no. We always say not yet. And we hopefully give you feedback to say, right, here's what you could improve, so please come back. Hopefully that happened to you. <laughs> Scottish Edge was was fantastic. It was kind of the cherry on top of a series of awards we won at that time. Um, it was the hardest one to obtain. You know, we won a, 
two great British Entrepreneur of the Year awards. We won a variety of different accolades, but the Edge one really pushed us hard to actually get there to the end. And I love that it's a Scottish thing as well. You know, the, some of the wider UK ones were more more obtainable. Yeah, uh, and I love that we 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 hold ourselves to a high standard here. Yeah, I think Tom sets the standards at the Edge, so I'm sure it's of the highest <laughs> <Yeah>. standard. <laughs> Yeah, well, brilliant. And and obviously now coming right forward, you're you're now one of the judges, right, on Scotland Home of the Year, which I watch. So, and obviously listening to you there and your bubbly personality and your your side hustles. So, you, are you going to become Scotland's George Clark? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I don't know. That's I know George. I mean, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean that that would be great. I mean he's had an, an amazing career. I think that people have an obsession with homes. You know from the moment we were cavemen and changing, you know, the stone at the front of the door, um, you know, we've been we've been obsessed with improvements. There's not enough architects out there talking about architecture in that in that space. And especially around, you know, probably more normal residential environments because really amaz- amazing design doesn't have to cost the earth. But I think the problem is that the whole industry is stacked against homeowners and, you know, quote unquote smaller projects because they're not small to the people doing them. It's a huge amount of money, and if you're putting down 150 grand on a car, you'd be treated in a you know an, an incredible way. And I think that in construction terms, it's comparatively small. It's seen as more trouble than it's worth. And I think there needs to be a voice for those people. And I think that's what that's what Hoku is trying to do. We're trying to create this perfect experience for people who are trying to improve their homes, and not just the architecture piece, but the whole multifaceted journey of getting the right builder, interior design, getting the structure engineers. You know, it's a very overwhelming sometimes. And if there's a systemized approach to it that uses, you know, technology and kind of pushes the boundary a little bit on how things are done, it could be something quite special. Yeah. We always encourage our guests to to tell us the downside, you know, the things that have came along and especially Tom's asking people, tell us about, you know, the the, the you know the the tough decisions and, and the things where they didn't go well for you. Well, I think that there's there's been many I think um, the biggest one for me which nobody really seems to talk about is overhiring it's an absolute ego trap for young entrepreneurs who are starting to scale quite quickly raising investments one thing and it feels like the obvious thing to do to get more bodies in you know build a team you know um, in your own kind of view of culture and what it's going to be and what we found was that the revenue massively increased, but so did the problems. And our, our margins, you know, really, really dropped. And we were kind of stuck in this situation then where we had this really high burn rate. We were then forced to push harder on sales. We then started to kind of drift away from our focus on the experience and by necessity started looking at, you know, revenue and invoicing. And it was starting to kind of spoil the relationship we had with some of our clients. Um, and I could see it happening, but you're in the situation where, you know, it sometimes feels like, you know, you see in, in, in the movies when a pilot's flying a plane and it's going straight down and he's leaning back <laughs> in his seat, pulling the pulling the steering wheel. And it kind of felt like that a little bit. And we just kind of missed off the hit crashing into the floor a few times. But what we realized in doing that was if we can challenge ourselves to stay true to our purpose of creating an amazing experience for people, the work comes quite naturally. And if we can keep our team lean and, and challenge ourselves to grow without needing to take on extra bodies, the value of the business goes up as well because you start by the very nature of that mindset creating something that's not just unique, but it's scalable as well. That's interesting. In in nearly 40 years in business, um, I have never, ever 
had an end-of-year board meeting and talked about the potential of, of what size we can be next year. There's no targets to grow by 10% or 15%. The whole target is to be better than we were last year and hopefully more people will know about us. That's it. And, and also to do more for our existing customers than they could imagine. Yeah. So I don't know, Tom, in your experience, that how you found that. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a, it's a terrific point this morning um, that you bring up about overhiring because, you know, we're all about growing Scotland's economy and we, the way we do that is people like yourself growing and hiring and, and we do a lot with scale-up businesses. Um, but one, it's not easy, <laughs> that's for sure. And two, um, I think it isn't something that's talked about enough is hiring ahead of the curve i guess my when i was building the the sports business i was always hiring ahead of the curve because we were we were we were planning to grow every single year and there was a few years where it went you know exponentially so i guess i've got a different um history from from willie i was always planning the growth and we always coach people to to plan the growth but my goodness it's not easy and i think that Overhiring is a great point for our listeners this morning, yeah. Willie. And also, what you've found is is that it just eats up your cash. It does, and uh, it takes you away from your north star, like exactly as you're saying, improving that experience or the, or the growth. And I think that if you've got clarity around where you want to go, the problem you're trying to solve, all the decision making can be focused around that same value. Um, for us, it's never really been a monetary thing, but as soon as the you know, the burn rate started to creep up and, you know, the growth was growing as well, but you could see there was going to come a crux point. Um, it started to shift our mindset a little bit and I was, and I'm really happy that we're out of that situation. So a big question, three years later, how did the investors feel? Yeah, I think they've uh, they've been along for the ride. I think um, some of them were clients first, which yeah. was really nice and they saw Great. that we had potential. I think that the thing about Hoko is that there is no market leader. It's a huge problem. I feel lucky enough that I started it, um, you know, in my 20s that I had that maybe an overabundance of naivety and enthusiasm and optimism. Which you need. To make mistakes. <laughs> and I kind of learned along the way that, you know, the pain is a good thing. You know, the pain is the barrier to the next level and the pain is the reason why other people have stopped or turned back and it's become a real comfort of taking on challenges and knowing that we're going to, we'll get through this. You just got to keep working hard. And then next thing you know, around the corner, there's going to be that bit of good luck, like out of the blue, getting on a TV show that's going to kind of change your fortune a little bit. And sometimes as long as you're maintaining your direction, you're focused on your purpose and you just keep working hard, the goods will come. And how, how did that come about? How did you end the, up getting the TV showing? thing? Yeah. Do you know what? It's the sweetest story. It's a lovely bit of good karma. <laughs> um, so we were at a really kind of key point when um, we were recruiting and we hired our first architect through a recruiter. And we'd never done that before because we had so much publicity and people were starting to get to know of us knocking on the door and things. And we took on uh, this, this girl and she was fantastic, really good architect. She was with us for three months. It, it cost us a lot of money to get her in the door. And at the end of the three months, she said, you know, I don't want to be an architect anymore. I just don't want to do it. I'm going to go into TV production and something else. I just don't feel like this is the career for me. And I was gutted, not just because we're going to have to start that process again, but it was a lot of money and it's just gone out the window to a recruiter. And um, as much as I felt bitter and disappointed about the whole thing, 
just wished her the best. Didn't no, never burn any bridges, and um, and and off she went. And it turns out that she joined the production company that 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 does Scotland's Home of the Year. And it was <laughs> early into her job, and she overheard a conversation from the bosses saying, "We need a new architect." And she butted in and said, "My old boss would be perfect." And that's kind of how it came about. That was the first kind of introduction, <laughs> completely out of the blue. And uh, I went to the casting day and there was some other amazing kind of architects and TV talent there and uh, just managed to... But it wasn't good looking. To wing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, they were, they were. <laughs> so it's funny, this, the, the, the story of George Clark is, is very similar. It was like by a complete fluke, you know, mm. that you ended up getting involved in, in, in TV. So in, in the couple of minutes we've got left, this is your, you know, you know, unashamedly now, you know, just tell people a wee bit more about the company and how maybe we can help you grow the company. So we're at a really interesting position now where we've kind of cracked the architecture piece, but that's one part of the puzzle where we kind of see the real value, not just the value financially, but what we can offer back is controlling the, the whole process. And what we're kind of working towards is is the, the the largest multidisciplinary that just does small projects at scale. And where we're looking to find our really exceptional growth is dominating the landscape around Scotland first, although we've, we've pushed across the UK before, and actually using artificial intelligence, using software automation to challenge ourselves to create something that is truly scalable across the UK and and, and hopefully export internationally as well. And where are you based? So Tradeston, just around the corner. Yeah. So for yeah. all the listeners, Hoko, look them up. Need any work done, small small extensions or a bit of interior design. Yeah. Obviously, they'll be seeing much more of you in the TV in the, in the next you know few months and, and, and years, hopefully. But uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show this morning. What a great story and wish you all the best. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, guys. Well, Danny, it's been brilliant and I look forward to seeing you on Scotland's Home of the Year. And best of luck. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Turning your paper-based processes into organised and digital workflows. Go There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Tom, we've got a guest on this week, I think, who might know you. Right, but on, so on the board that you can't afford today, we've got Laura Rennie. Yes. From Arena HR. I know Laura. Laura, welcome. Very well. Hello, Laura. Hello, yes, thanks for having me. Tell us a wee bit about you, the business, and then your question. Okay, thanks. Um, so yeah, my name's Laura Rennie, as we've been introduced, and the business is Arena HR. We are based in the west of Scotland. We've got clients throughout the whole of the UK and now into Europe. Um, and over the last three years, we've been getting a bit of a go-to place for Gaelic medium organisations, which has been really lovely for us. Um, and yeah, I do know Sir Tom because he used to be my landlord, but he also, obviously, with eSpark and yourself, um, Lord Hockey. So yeah, I was in that process and that's where I found out that, yes, I can do HR, but it turns out I can actually run a business as well. So that was good foundation for me. Um, but then I, I flew the nest after a, a year or so 
and moved into my own premises. So yeah, we're an HR consultancy, so outsourced HR for companies with HR internally that needs extra support or companies that don't have HR at all and they, they need somebody to help us. And our clients are proactive employers who are keen to strengthen their engagement with their workforce or reactive and maybe they've got a wee problem or an issue that they would like some support with. And we do that by supporting and enhancing positive working relationships through doing HR right. And that's it in a nutshell. Um, we've been going for seven and a half years and I've made lots of mistakes, very, very many mistakes, um, trying to suss out how to actually run a business and grow because the clients like to come to me. And, you know, it's taken me a long time to find staff that clients will go to them. And it's not because of their personalities or their ability. It's just they like coming to me because I'm the business owner. But I've hired staff now that are better than me. Brilliant. <laughs> so I'm like, please go to them. Please go to them <laughs> um, because uh, you'll get a better answer. Now that is a recipe for success. That's Seriously. Yeah, yeah. I, I did listen to a few of your chats over the years. <laughs> um, and I'm very fortunate that um, since January this year, I've been working with Professor um, Heather J. McGregor. So I went on the, the Help to Grow at Harriet Watt and thankfully I was matched with her. So I'm going over to Dubai next month to, to speak to her students. So, um, And I've got an academic background anyway, so it's it's kind of all came together. Um, but yeah, I'm at a bit of a crossroads now. So what's your question? So my question is, I have had this HR consultancy for seven and a half years and I've been in HR for 25 and I've lectured throughout my, my time as well. We've got a training academy that we had a soft launch with and our clients love coming and learning how to do HR right. And we've also got this app. And over the last six months, I've went back into the business and get back on the tools because we've changed the business model slightly. But I'm now at a point where I need to come back out of it. But do I come out of it and grow the HR consultancy? Come out of it and grow the academy or do I do the HR consultancy and get somebody else to, to run the academy or do I do the academy and get somebody else to run the consultancy and then by the way we've got this app that's popping up um, and I feel as if I'm doing three things well but I want to do them very well so that's where I'm at this one is easy to answer <laughs> is it really easy easy so what you have to do is you have to look at all three disciplines and you work out where you absolutely bring the most value in either of these three and that's where you focus. Right, okay. Dead simple. I think that's really good advice, Laura. Right, okay. I think, I think if I was advising you, I'd be saying, right, which part of this would would you not want to delegate because you're the best at it? This, is, this takes quite a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of honesty to say, well, I might want to do that, but mm -hmm. actually, nobody else can do this as well as me and therefore you then hire in for the other parts but you you are the expert in this one part of it so I think it's easy for us to tell you yeah I understand it's not quite as easy to execute <laughs> let, me, let me get another bit of advice of the three things if you think that they're I'm sure you won't think they're all equally as important right so weight them so one might be 80 percent there's nothing wrong with trusting people to deliver on the other two and overseeing them, right? So you can concentrate, focus 80% on the thing that you think is most important and keep, you know, a, a helping hand across whoever you delegate to try and deliver on the other two. 
sense so easy. Where is your heart? Where, where is the thing that gets you up in the morning and say, that's what I really want to do? What? It's a difficult one because I quite like the red phone going, you know, the back call. Yes. The and ba- going, right, I'm in. You have been listening to me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I love the back call. I love the, the you know, I came out of the business at the beginning of the year to to try and build it. And our growth has been 85% in the last year. It's nuts. So that was me on the development and I think right I need to do more of that but then I get pulled in and go I can fix that I'm going to go and fix that but then I've been doing some training and I tra- was up working with one of our clients in Hillington and I came away and I was like that was brilliant today so I think I like a bit of it all <laughs> I like a bit of it all let's tell the listeners a wee bit about the bat phone right let me explain <laughs> it to them so what happened was when I had a huge client in Asda we had a process for reporting complaints Right, and people would complain, store managers would complain to the chief executive as the, oh, I'd done this, I'd done that, and nobody came, nobody came. And he, they, someone would have to come to find out if he was telling the truth. So the, the, the CEO of Asda took me on a whirlwind tour around every store manager. He had what he called regional get-togethers, so he'd bring 60 store managers for the north, 60 for the south, and we would, and one day we'd go around the whole country. And he made me stand up in front of all these guys who were complaining and said, listen, don't any of you ever phone me and complain again about the processes at City, right? See this guy here, he's going to give everyone who uses his phone number right now and see if the process doesn't work. He's got a bat phone now on his desk and you just phone it and you'll not believe it. All the noise and complaints diminished overnight and I think that bat phone went about three times in 20 years. Yeah. So that's what the bat phone yeah. is. It's, it's something that I've... Um, that I've I've used in the business because yeah. it's HR is brilliant and I love being proactive and we're working with great, brilliant com- you know companies and I listen to a lot of them and I think, oh, I'm going to do what you're doing. You know, I had a, a client that I, mean, I told him I'm going on holiday and he just looked straight in the eye and went, how old's your business? I said, three years. They went, no, five before you take a day off. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. multi-millionaire. I've got, I've got to listen to this guy. He's yeah. telling, he knows it. So I've, I do have a good people round about me, but... The phone call goes on a Friday and you're like, right, back call. I've got a wee similar story (laughs) like that. I remember a good friend of mine, Paul Watson, his dad was very influential in the licence trade. He he, he was the president of the licence trade and he had all the great pubs in town and Paul said to me, come and meet my dad and he'll help you with the brewers. I'll never forget it. (laughs) I just came back from one in the Middle East, you know, and I was all tanned up and I went in, I had the sovereign ring on and I had my business card that was all black and gold writing and I walked up (laughs) and I gave him and he goes, what if? Sat, ripped my business card up. He says, points to my ring. He says, I'm paying for all this. Get on your bike. And that was a lesson for me. Yeah. Right. Well, there's a reason why I drive a golf. <laughs> there's a few clients that have said, keep yeah. yourself humble Absolutely. and um, and just work away. And, yeah. and I quite like the things that Dan was saying earlier. You know, there's a lot yeah. in what he's saying about, you know, growing and focusing on that. Right. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, thanks, Laura, thanks for coming on. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. And, and we wish you all the best. Thanks very much. Laura, I think the good news for you is you've got a great business. You're very highly regarded and I don't think it's a bad decision for you. So good luck. Keep in touch with the show and let us know what you decided and how it worked out. Brilliant, thanks. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go Radio.